Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We are now less than a week away from the budget and needless to say the papers are still full of speculation and what's likely to happen, what's not likely uh, to happen. But of course a slightly dark cloud now hanging over uh, the budget with the Economic and Social Research Institute coming out and saying that the Irish economy is expected to fall into recession this year and therefore uh, the government may have less budget cash to splash around next uh, Tuesday, Cer- certainly less than what they thought they would have. The ESRI described a tale of two economies. We've got a domestic sector which is growing while we are now beginning to see the start of the multinationals uh, faltering, which was always expected with the corporation uh, tax. And while prices are running higher than expected, the jobless rates are at record uh, lows. The the ERSI has warned the government against tax cuts on a budget day. Well, against tax cuts, they say that will go above and beyond uh, inflation. And of course, the ESRI's report uh, comes out a day after the exchequer returns uh, showed a dip in corporation tax uh, receipts. And of course, any dip in corporation tax receipts could and will affect this year's uh, budget uh, surplus. But the Minister for Finance, he was questioned on his way into the Cabinet meeting yesterday Yesterday morning, and he says that changes to personal taxation will be a central element of the just over 1.1 billion tax package that is going to form part of next uh, Tuesday's budget. And he says now obviously for the budget there's a number of different priorities but one that he particularly wants to address is changes to personal taxation. Uh, he said that will involve a combination of issues around our income tax uh, system but he also mentioned the much hated universal social charge. Now he did accept on his way into Cabinet yesterday that the final decision hasn't been made yet and I wonder will it now be influenced by the Economic and Social Research uh, Institute. We'll have a few days uh, to find out if it is uh, going to, uh, if that is going to, uh, if they're going to listen to the ESRI and will they change the way they are thinking. But he did say yesterday that the key thing is to ensure a fair distribution 
and spread of the benefit of reductions in persons taxation. And he said that the, he, in particular, he wants to see the low and the middle income earners get a fair deal when they distribute whatever reductions they're going to have uh, when it comes to income tax. Because I know the Solidarity People for Profit, TD McBarry, he was, he called for a budget for the millions, not for the millionaires. So I think uh, Michael McGrath pains to point out that anything they do is going to be aimed at the low and middle income earners. And he, you know, he says that they know, they all know that day to day costs are remaining really high for households all over the country. So they're going to do the very best they can with the resources that are available uh, to the government. He said intense discussions are underway in relation to the health budget. I'd say there's a lot of angry words when they go behind closed doors uh, to talk about the health uh, budget. And obviously he said also the social protection um, budget, that's the largest budget across uh, government. But there has been a significant overrun in health. And if they have to put more money into health, and we know they will have to put more money into health, I think it's a billion for this year, that is going to impact on other areas. Now, I know I did see the Minister for Health was citing all the different reasons why the health overruns um, had happened and it isn't one particular reason is uh, to blame. He's, you know, talking about that there is a huge demand in our hospitals. So many more people are turning up to our hospitals. We have more people now aged over the age of 75. Health inflation is running high, but demand is uh, huge as well. And, uh, you know, he says they couldn't have... He's reckoning they couldn't have factored in how much extra they were going to need. But obviously, if they had to throw a big ball of money into the health sector, there's going to be less money to pass around. The Taoiseach speaking in the Dáil yesterday, he's promising that the budget will tackle the cost of living crisis with the measures, he says, will see people have more money in their pockets. And he also promised that it's going to happen this side of Christmas because obviously this is the budget for next year that they're talking about. But there will be measures in place that people will get more money this year rather than have to wait for 2024. Leo Varadkar said... It'll include income tax, USC package, which will reward work and will ensure that people get to keep more money, more money that they actually make, more money will stay in their pockets. He said the budget will be a focus on child poverty and on child well-being. He's promising help for businesses and he's also promising help for funding. In addition to that, he says there'll be funding for Gardaí for law and order. And he says by funding law, by the Gardaí and funding law and order, that will benefit uh, everyone. So lots of uh, promises being made there. They have a certain now they have a lot of money. Let's, even though the corporation taxes are starting uh, to go down from what they were, the historic highs they were at, they still have a lot of money in the exchequer but it's just how they spend it and I think that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants it to be fair and, and particularly low to middle income earners. So there's no point introducing a tax pack, uh, package and then the day after the budget when you'll open the papers and they get accountants to take a look at you know average families and how much they're going to benefit by and suddenly you'll see somebody who's on over €100,000 a year and they benefit more than somebody that, say, is on €30,000 a year. That always enrages uh, people. And actually... 
a lot of the journalists and a lot of different surveys happen in the lead up to the budget where they ask people, you know, what are you most looking for out of the budget? And one of the ones that I, I, I came across, this is from the company Tax Back. They did their own survey and they found that half of taxpayers would like to see this year's budget restore the higher rate of tax relief for spending on GPs, consultants and prescriptions. A move to restore the higher rates of tax relief would be a boost, obviously, to that so-called squeezed uh, middle. But interestingly, a third of those surveyed for the taxback.com research said that such a move would give the higher income earners an unjust advantage over the lower income uh, earners. We know that taxpayers were at one stage able to claim 40% of the cost of spending on any of their medical expenses. But that relief was cut by a half back in. I was surprised that it was back in 2009. I remember it happening. I didn't think it was that, that long ago. It went down to just 20% you can claim back. And of course, we have GP practices now that are charging anything from 60. Some GP practices are charging €80 Euro for a, a consultation. And then you add into that if somebody needed to go to a consultant or if somebody needed to go to a dentist, uh, your prescription uh, charges, it can mount up across the year. So it was the tax back taxpayer pre-budget uh, survey and they polled people. Uh, about 2,000 people were surveyed nationwide and the Director of Tax Back, Marion Ryan, um, was explaining how before 20, 2009 people were claiming at that higher uh, rate but now it's gone and has been at the lower rate since 2009. But she points out that that contrasts to the treatment of tax relief on nursing home fees. If you're paying nursing home fees you can claim up to 40% relief on that and she says they can't see any logical reason why the 40% rate of relief is allowed for nursing home fees, but it's not allowed for medical ex- expenses. And she said, given the pressure that so many people are under with rising living costs today, reinstating that maximum tax rate to 40% would make a huge difference to people. She said for some, it could literally be the difference between able to afford health treatment uh, or, or not. But when when you talk about those medical expenses, what, what you have to bear in mind that when it comes to claiming back the tax, six out of 10 taxpayers in the state never claim back tax relief on their medical expenses. Uh, research found earlier this year that more than four in 10 taxpayers believe that the primary reason that Irish people don't claim back what is owed to them is down to a lack of awareness and their eligibility to claim. But another quarter of people in that particular survey believe people are, for whatever reason, reluctant to deal with the taxman. Some people are afraid, oh, I'd never ring up the revenue, I'd never ring up the taxman, she would be only drawing them on you, uh, he or she on you. And people are afraid that if they get involved with uh, revenue, they could end up um, owing more money. And that's not the case. If these are medical expenses, you are entitled to uh, claim them back. So interesting that a lot of people are looking for that and and saying that the 40, it should go back up to the where you got 40% tax relief on your medical expenses. Uh, Your thoughts uh, welcomed on the ongoing discussions in advance of the budget. What are you looking for most out of next uh, Tuesday's uh, budget? Dan thinks it's incredible that having made billions and billions over the last number of years on corporation tax, suddenly in budget week, we are shocked to hear that for the last two uh, months, we're not getting as much 
not as much as coming in on corporation tax. Uh, do these people in the Dáil honestly believe that we buy that? Also, who runs the finances within the Department of Health? A major overrun again. It is, Dan, up to a billion this year. Uh, we badly need a general election, says Dan. He wants a general election ASAP. And by the way, if you're in East Cork, particularly around Knockadoon Pier in East Cork, please be aware the Cork County Council are undertaking a controlled oil spill exercise at the pier uh, this morning. It's an exercise only, so there is no cause for concern, but people will see a lot of activity going on there at uh, Knockadoon Pier in East uh, Cork, but it's just an exercise by Cork County Council. Giveaways on the programme today. Later on, we'll be giving you a chance for you and two of your friends or family members to go along to Funderland Autumn at the Creamfields and the Schmore Road, open every night from 10am. And we have tickets and passes to get you there. We'll play another round of our Funderland game uh, a little bit later on. And also an opportunity if you'd like to go to the National Menopause Summit. Now that's taking place on the 20th of October in Cork at City Hall. And of course, this is World Menopause Awareness Month and if you want to check out more and find out more about really good guest speakers at the National Menopause Summit you can go on their website nationalmenopausesummit.com but we have every day this week a pair of balcony tickets to go along to the National Menopause Summit so we will give those away on the programme as well today. Now yesterday during my chat with Michael O'Donovan of the Cork Vintners Federation he was talking about the high cost of insurance for his industry and he mentioned the VAT going back up to 13.5% on the 1st of September and how that was affecting his members and he wasn't hopeful of a reduction in next Tuesday's budget. That hospitality rate, of course, also includes hairdressers and barbers. And to talk about that industry and how it's affected, I'm joined by well-known Cork barber, Michael Moriarty, also known as the Baldy Barber. Uh, good morning to you, Michael. Morning, Patricia. Always great to uh, talk to you. Firstly, uh, the VAT rate went up from 9% to 13.5% on the 1st of September. Did Were you forced to put up your prices because no. of that? No, I made a conscious decision. I discussed with my staff and I said no because people don't have the money to pay for this kind of thing. And all I want is to get two extra customers a day, just two extra customers a day, and that will cover the 4.5%. But it's coming out of... Your My body. Yeah. It is, yeah. it is. And I can tell you the difference, Patricia, is that the week that I did a VAT with a thirteen and a half percent, it would up to sixty eight euro extra for me VAT that week. Now that's that's three and a half thousand euro a year. Yeah. That's thirty five thousand ten years. And that's I just on ten years. Yeah. That's, but, but that's, that's, that's just reality. the increase. That's just that's the just in, increase, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and had you considered putting up your prices? And I'm not the dearest guy in, in, in Cork or anywhere. I'm 16 euro. I put up two years ago two euro from 14 because of the, the cuts. I had uh, five people employed with myself and I had to take out, I had four working chairs. I had to take out one chair, but that brought me down 25%. I had eight waiting chairs. I had to take away five and we could only do two haircuts in the hour, not three, over protocol. Do the haircut, 15, 20 minutes, clean your chair, let your staff go away. I did it all above board and I, I set it up for the Irish Barbers Society. There was about 70 of us involved in this and my daughter Louise, who was a teacher, she set up the whole protocol for everybody across the country and we followed the guidelines. The Irish people followed the guidelines but others did not follow the guidelines. They were packing in the, the, the customers in and they all got COVID. 
Mm. I, I, I'm a great man for the guidelines, Patricia. Yeah, I know, I know. I make no bones about it. But it's and hard I, and when I, others are not abiding by it. It is, and I've, and I've always said that the one thing that will close me down will be owing money to the VAT man. I got 58,000 EWSS money, Patricia, which I gave to my customer, my staff, sorry, uh, for their wages. Yeah. I got a bill three weeks ago for 13,607 income tax for myself. I didn't get the money. I just meet my, my accountant here in a few minutes to go through the whole thing. A bill for 13,607 income tax for me on that EWSS. And I didn't get one cent out of it. But you're sure you'd be able to prove that? Well, well I have to go. That's why I'm meeting my accountant now, 11 o'clock, because John asked me to talk at 25 past 11. I said, no, I'd have to meet earlier and talk earlier about it. Because you need to but go to your account. Is yeah, it getting harder and harder to stay in business? It, it is. It is. And I can tell you, next week, the VAT will be discussed again. I've written to every minister in the last 35 years of finance. There's a threshold at the moment, Patricia, of 37,500. There is no one person can run a business under 37,500 if you are renting a premises. And I can tell you, Patricia, that it's 15,000 a year, 300 a week for to rent a premises. It's 2,000 for rates. 2000 for insurance, you have your light, your heating, you're up to about 22000 And you can run a business under 37500 a joke. Can't be but done. I, I, I proposed to every minister and to the chair and the revenue, delete 37500 and charge everyone 5% VAT across the board. Ladies here dressing, gents here dressing. There are thousands of barbershops and hairdressers Pay no VAT at all, at all, at all. And we'll all be in the same playing field. And then, if there was a 5% VAT charge on everyone, then you hear the people cribbing who are in our business. Yeah, and you've also noticed, Michael, when you're out and about, I mean, the price of everything has, has gone up. I, and you're seeing it. I, I know you were, you, were, you were talking to John Paul about even the price of going for a cup of coffee. Yes, right. I, I, I meet a friend of mine, Norman Douglas, and, and what they call it, he's turned for it by. And next, uh, there was two cakes, and I, I had another guy joined us, and he said, Guess, uh, David, a cup of coffee. I came back and I said, You owe me 150. He says, What? I said, It's 425 for a cup of coffee over in Douglas. I said, I paid 295 and said in Blackpool this morning for a half cup of coffee, a small coffee. I came in, that's a big difference. But 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 are you saying? I mean, you're a business person, so you know the overheads. Like some of this isn't price gouging. This is people just trying to make a living. Well, see, they're renting. I mean, Clayton yeah. had me pestered thirty odd years ago to open a barber shop in Blackpool. It was thirty eight thousand pound a year rent. That was eight hundred a year, and I'd have to work seven days a week. I'd have no asset at the end of my life. I own my premises. At least I can leave something to my two daughters in the story. But like if I'm renting, all guys say to me, go to the shopping centre. For what? Be working seven days a week. And and not, and not even making a, a wage probably out, out of oh, it. Oh, about and, and, and the all people... All you have to do is have a look around. And there was a fireman there last year and he said to me, Mick, he said, look at all the barbershops. I said, Jerry, 23 years ago, 15 barbershops in Cork City. 150 now. And they're open for 12 months, 15 months and they're closed and they're gone away. And they are not Irish, and I'm not a, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. These are not Irish. 
They close the door and they go up the country and they open up someplace else. It is a joke, Patricia. We are not being protected here in our own country. Well, and when people are sitting in in the chair, we all know the conversations we have with our hairdressers and our barbers. Are you hearing people talk about the cost of living? Oh, God, yes. I have never in my 75 years alive, and I'm 57 years in the business, I have never heard there's so much talk about the cost of everything. Everything in the story. I know you will have the people who talk about the cost of the point. They don't worry me because they're a minority. You talk about the people who are trying to rear the family, pay a mortgage or pay a rent. A lot of people don't have mortgages now because they can't afford it, which is very unfair. I spoke to Michal Martin before Christmas. I said, Michal, my father was a barber. We lived in Melancholy. He bought a house in Blackpool, I said, where the shop is today, on one man's wages. Your father said he became an inspector in the 60s. I remember your father saying on Patrick Street. He bought a house in, in Bellity Hand, I said, on one man's wages. Now, I said, they can't even buy a house, I said, on two people's wages. Yeah, it's a part, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's it's very, very tough on, on young couples uh, tr- is, trying yeah. to start, trying to start out. So, we, we have a budget coming up next week. What would be what would be your personal hopes from next Tuesday's budget? Well, I, 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 I personally think that everybody working, minimum, through a 600-week net coming home, 600 a week net, 15 euro an hour. I think that's it. End of story. There shouldn't be tax on it. Mm. I mean, people can't afford it. But that's, I, hope, I hope that Mike McGrath, and I, I just sent a message last week, and only on Monday, about it. I said, Michael, here I am again. I said, please, get rid of the, 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 the 37,500 for the barbershops. And I said, so they have 5% across the board. That would be a dream for me, Patricia, if it came true. And I know a lot of people in the business now won't like what I'm saying, especially those who are not paying the VAT. And I will get a phone call, and I told Michael McGrath, I said, if it happens that you delete the 37,500, you can blame the body barber. <laughs> and, and I have no problem. I'd be well able to stand up to these people who would ring me, and I will get phone calls after this now, Patricia. Who do you think you are to put us into the back bracket? And I will talk to them and say, how many people have you employed or who's in the shop with you? Because they're not employed. They couldn't employ them. If you're renting, Patricia, you couldn't run a business under 40,000. And that's why you're one person. Okay, listen, uh, Mick, we'll talk again. But in and the meantime, thank you, thank you for that and thanks for God joining us. Always a pleasure. Bye bye, bye bye. Lovely man. That is Mick Moriarty, uh, better known as the Baldy uh, Barber in uh, Blackpool. Following the announcement uh, in August of the closure of the Appery Living Nursing Home in Belgooli, families of residents are now facing complete chaos with the news that the closing date of the facility has been brought forward. Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard joins me to share some of the family's uh, concerns. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. Um, Okay, when was it to close and what is now the new closure date? Okay, so look, they were given six months there last August to close, so it was supposed to close in, I think, was toward the end of the year. Um, the problem here is that they received the text message to the majority of the families um, on Thursday evening, giving them the, uh, telling them that uh, HICWA had agreed that they would close by the end of October, which was literally only a three-month period that they were given from the original closing date and given literally three weeks to find suitable accommodations for their loved ones. So it really did catch them totally um, blind beside it. 
and like I'm talking to families that have patients that need special needs, uh, special care, dementia patients in particular, and like we're stuck in the scenario that they are struggling at this moment in time to find a suitable place for their loved ones and a suitable place in location that they can access as well. So it really is a really tough story, tough case. And it um, has come, I mean, the the initial announcement of the closure came like a bolt out of the blue. I remember it back in, back in August, but at least there was well, down the six months to do something about it. But this, a text message you're saying families got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So text messages, how they were communicated by the actual management company that runs the actual care home. Um, they don't actually own it. They were corresponding us saying they don't own the property, they only run it. Uh, they run it on nine properties as well, which I think they might own, but I can't be sure of that. Um, so, like, the issue here is they literally got text messages on Thursday saying that their date had been brought forward to the end of October. Did they give and a they, reason why? They said HICWA had approved the following, and I think the HICWA statement kind of put me thinking, why was HICWA involved in this to the degree of approving it? HICWA originally said there was a six-month um, timeline and literally, we only came across a report overnight that was published by Hickway on the 17th or 18th of May regarding um, an inspection that happened there. And like, there's serious compliance issues, to say the very least, regarding that report, a 37-page report. So um, I think all this will come out in the wash. Um, I'm not quite too sure what the full story here is. But Hickwa seems to have moved in and there seems to be a move here now to close this home faster than what was the, determined previously. So can can we can you point the finger blame at Hikwa? Do you think Hikwa are are insisting no, that it closes? I, I think Hikwa are looking at this regarding issues regarding fire safety, regarding monetary money, regarding patients, regarding management, regarding staffing levels. I think there's a a serious issues of non compliance within the home at the moment that are being seriously looked at by Hikwa. Um, I'm not sure exactly why they moved it forward, but if you read the 37-page report that literally came to my possession yesterday, it uh, gives me the impression there's a lot more to the story than we're, we're actually seeing at the moment. OK, so and would you be surprised? We've, we've heard from one of the families uh, when, we, when we mentioned that we were going to be discussing it today, somebody who doesn't want their name um, uh, to be identified, which, which is fine to say. Our mother has been uh, in the, this particular nursing home for a number of years in Belgooli. Neither myself or my sister were contacted, read the closure back in August until a few weeks ago when my sister got a phone call to ask about the progress of finding another home for my mother. My sister informed them that we hadn't received any call and it was brushed off. Oh, sorry about that and nothing more. We we can't look after our mum as we don't have the room and are not equipped. We both work into families of our own and she needs a lot of care. We're now left worrying uh, as to where she'll go as other nursing homes that we've checked out are either full or have long waiting lists. Are, are you hearing similar stories to that? Oh, completely. Like I have terrible stories. Like, like I've taken the opportunity to write into other nursing homes looking for um, accommodation for some the people that have contacted me. Um, we've had issues regarding communication, both management, both staffing levels, um, continuous worry regarding the the loved ones of patients that are in the actual unit for the last few weeks and months in particular. Um, like there's a story that'll come out here that I'm not fully sure of, I've an idea that will be published in time. But at the moment, it's about trying to make sure we get a suitable location for these patients that need to be moved. Okay, Um, I know it's a 68-bed nursing home. Have you the up-to-date figures on how many people are there, say, this morning? No, 
we know it's considerably reduced. That's okay. the word I got well, literally well ago, considerably reduced. A lot of patients have moved out. An awful lot of staff went for interviews last yes, last Monday uh, to other nursing homes. So there's an exodus of staff as well, which is really concerning. My big worry here is that we'll have a scenario that staff will leave before the patients. Oh my God, you that can't staff leave. Would, That's that staff will, yeah. have a, will find a scenario that they'll think their nurse home is closing in October, they'll go into interviews and they'll be leaving tomorrow morning. And that's the big fear that the patients, families have at the moment, that the staffing levels won't be appropriate there. Like even when you read the Hickory report from last May, the person who was in charge of the actual premises on that day was leaving two days later. So this they were leaving before the actual announcement of the actual closure. So there's been some there's been major issues regarding the home in many ways regarding what Hickory said in that, that report. And subsequently, they went away then and they announced their closure and now they brought forward their closure by three months. Which is causing this complete panic and and, and chaos for families. I think that word panic is really important. There is complete panic there regarding it. It, but even even if local, uh, and I'm very conscious of them being local nursing homes because people want their loved ones to be close by so that they can go and visit, and the residents, the, the, the patients, or the residents themselves want to live in an area that where they know other people and where their families can call in and, and out them. But even if there was sufficient bed capacity in local nursing homes they mightn't be able to give the appropriate level of care. It isn't always as simple as moving from one nursing home to, say, the nursing home across the road if there was one. No, and what you're finding is that the complex cases are the issue. I think that's where we are at the moment, where patients are high dependent, might need, might be dementia patients or other patients of that nature that might need special um, care at these new nursing homes. Trying to find a location for them has been the real issue for me. And that's where I'm struggling at the moment. And I think that's really where we are with trying to find locations. And like, I'll give you an example of this lovely lady on to me and she says she'll go anywhere to see her husband, but she doesn't go through the tunnel. She just can't handle the new road the other side of the tunnel. And I, so we're looking for one at the south side of the city kind of heading. She'll go to Bantry, but she won't go through the tunnel. She has a line in her map that she won't go through. So you'd be surprised there's barriers within people's own minds of where the actual loved ones can go as well. And they're very obvious because we're dealing with people of a certain generation and, you know, like the tunnel's a tough one in many ways, even for me, like, you know. Yeah, I'd, so, be, uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be I, with that woman. I'm not, I'm not great about driving through the tunnel uh, myself. Okay, so um, what, what about Hickwa now or the HSE? Have they a role? Can they help out in any way? Yeah, I think Hickwa are regularly, their job is to regulate it. So they're obviously, with the report they published in May, they brought forward major recommendations. They have huge issues with how the place has been run. Like even on the fire safety side of things, there was 14 actions had to be done in the previous report. There was only 12 of them. There was uh, none of them actually looked at. In fact, there was 12 of them hadn't even been addressed. So And there was issues with money and monetary issues as well, management and staffing levels. So the Hickory report in this was quite significant. So Hickory are there to regulate it, and that's what they've done. Okay. I think the HSC here now have a job to do regarding trying to make sure that the patients that are high dependents um, need this location, that they need to find the location that's suitable for them. And like we've been onto the HSC, we've been onto senior members of the HSC both yesterday and today about this as well, people trying to find locations because that's the element here. We have to make sure that people actually find uh, suitable accommodation in the next three weeks and three weeks is a very 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 short space of time um, 
like one thing sure about this this wasn't about money this was about how it was being run and I think that was very very obvious when you read the report but these we, I mean are we looking at a scenario where some of these residents could end up homeless quite possibly I think that's my biggest fear in life that's my biggest fear for these, some of these patients and some of these patients cannot go back into their where they were previously because they have deteriorated unfortunately they you know it just wouldn't work they need to have a setting that's appropriate for their care and that involves, you know, having 24 care around them to make sure they can be safe in that environment itself. And I think that's the real thing. And the other thing is families who have put their loved ones in these kind of settings, um, they need, like, it, it's a big, big ordeal to do it. Mm. And now they're, now they're in that scenario that they must find another suitable setting that suits the care needs for their actual mother or father yeah, or whoever. And, and let's not, let's not take away uh, either that for the, for however many, I don't know if, they, if it was full uh, at 68, the full capacity of beds, but uh, for, for the residents, it's been their home. I mean, that that lady who contacted us along with her sister it said that their mum has been in there for a number of years. It, it is home to that woman. I would often attended events there over the last maybe pre-COVID in particular. Um, and it was a, a lovely setting that really had this home environment tied into it. And I think that's the word home is the big issue here. Like, you know, it really was what says in the tin. It was a, a home for these people. It was their place of that's where they've resided and they're effectively moving and they're effectively changing that environment in a very, very late stage in life. I feel for the families, like, I just think this is the most emotional thing you could be involved in because these people have done so much for their parents and for their loved ones and for their husbands and now they're in a scenario that they're struggling to find a location for them in a very, very short space of time and we have to find location. Okay, and you you say you're in contact with uh, nursing homes, any nursing homes listening that have any any bed capacity, um, I take it they can liaise with you because you've got a list of families who are really, really struggling. Absolutely. Okay. Trying to make sure we can find homes from home. All right. Keep us updated, uh, Tim. In the meantime, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Fianna Gael, West Cork Senator Tim Lambert. Let me look at some of your thoughts and comments coming into the programme this morning. Somebody says, Patricia, just to let your listeners know, the scammers are back out and they're busy this morning. I've just got a text to say there was some activity on my AIB bank account. By the way, I don't have an AIB bank account and it came from an 085 number. Actually, the other day, it was over the weekend, I think I got one of those uh, texts that said, hi, ma'am. And can I say... I don't have anyone in my life who calls me ma'am. But anyway, uh, saying that they had got a new phone and would I WhatsApp them on another phone? I knew immediately that it was a scam. But this, the when that scam first started, the amount of parents that got caught out with that one, but that one is doing the rounds uh, as well. But the banking ones always seem to be out there. Uh, so just be very, very careful. Now, we spoke about Appery Nursing Home and Belgooli and what's going on for the families in the last uh, hour because suddenly now there is a very much quicker closure of that nursing home than was originally uh, thought. That led somebody to say, uh, um, Patricia, the 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 group chief of Appery Living Nursing Homes resigned over financial integrity conter- concerns a few days ago. I imagine uh, Hikwa will have serious concerns over the management of the financial affairs of the residents, and that was some of the, one of the things that was pointed out in the Hikwa, the last Hikwa report, according to uh, Tim Lombard. So I checked that, and um, yeah, there was a piece actually in the Times about five days ago saying that the former chief executive of Appery Living. Um, and, and by the way, Appery Living, they've got five 
nursing homes uh, in in the, in the country that he resigned from his position only, only about three months after taking up the job and he cited the reason uh, due to concerns he had about the financial integrity of the company so that doesn't uh, bode well uh, does it not and certainly listening to Senator Tim Lombard there does seem to be a lot more to this uh, story and this is a story I think that isn't going to go uh, away and when I was just checking out when that text came in when I was finding out about that former chief executive and why he'd actually resigned only months after taking up the position. I've also found a piece from the Waterford News and uh, Star that HICWA have closed another one of the Appery uh, nursing homes. This one is in Ballygunner. It's the Appery Living Centre. It was formerly Havenwood Nursing Home in Ballygunner. And uh, HICWA have moved in and said that the nursing home was under-resourced and that it was unravelling for months. And that one is also being uh, closed. So, yeah, I think Tim is probably right. There is more to this uh, story. But that obviously is no consolation to the families who now find themselves trying to desperately find a suitable nursing home in which their loved one can, can live, including the you know those daughters that contacted us about their mother didn't even know the place was closing until they got a te- until they got a phone call saying, "Well, have you found somewhere new for your mother and she's been there for a number of years i mean that's a shocking way to treat both the families and indeed uh, to treat the residents oh eight one eight one oh three one oh three We were talking about taxes in the last hour and we were with regard to the budget and you know what you know we're all waiting to see what's going to happen in next Tuesday's budget but uh, one of the pieces that I mentioned was to do with claiming tax back on if you have medical expenses and that for some reason a number of people don't claim back their tax back uh, every year and taxback.com are saying that the government should return it to the 40 when you get 40% back at the moment it is at 20%. Uh, Jerry says uh, Patricia one time as well as you know, you could claim back tax for the last 10 years, but now you can only go back four years. And that's to prevent people claiming large amounts of tax back uh, or reliefs in a tax. I know you're going to go back four. Didn't realize you could go back 10 at one stage. Was it as far back as that? But Jerry also is one of those people who doesn't believe in claiming back tax because in the survey that I quoted, the number of people saying that they won't claim back tax because they're fearful that it will draw attention to them from the taxman and the taxman will come after them for more money. And Jerry is convinced that that does um, happen. Um, he says he he people who do not claim tax back uh, is because at the next juncture revenue will claw back any money given by increasing taxes and that is a fact. I was claiming back tax over the years but I gave it up when they started to crucify me with a higher tax band once I owed them any amount of money kind regards says Jerry. and and I don't know how that can actually uh, happen. You can only move into a higher tax bracket if you have increased your earnings. So I, I don't really know, but Jerry reckons it does happen to, and that it has happened to him. And then staying on the budget, hi Patricia, energy costs, fuel costs, cost of living, the government will need to do something for people. People just simply can't keep going any longer. People are really suffering at the moment. And if the government do nothing, they'll see a tsunami of people leave our shores and 
we'll see more people homeless on our streets. People are budgeting their own budget with so long now and there's absolutely no reprieve from it. We are in a major crisis in this country. I can see now how Sinn Féin will win comfortably at the next election whenever the next election happens. And then an email in to Cork today at c103.ie from Nori. Now this is, I was trying during news to do the sums for Nori, but I wasn't able to get all of the information I needed so I'll have to go back uh, go back on this one but maybe somebody listening might be able to help us with this one. Noreen is emailing to say we're now hearing that the health budget requires an extra one billion. That's how much they've overrun this year for 2023. Uh, Can you please find out the figure per taxpayer in 2023 that it's costing us just to fund the health system? Back in 2003, 20 years ago, the figure at that stage, every taxpayer, it was €6,800 per year of what you paid in tax went straight into health. Uh, Paying for a broken service is very frustrating and it is wasting, I feel, our hard-earned taxes. I would appreciate if you could find out this figure for me. Now, I do know that the budget, the health budget for this year was just under 23,000, 23 billion, 23,000, God, 23 billion. Um, That's what they would have gotten last year when they sat down to do the budget and the budget for the year the Department of Health would have said we will need 23 billion euro in which to run the health budget so that's what they were given now that's gone into an overrun and they need an extra billion so it's going to be 24 billion is what this year's health budget is going to come out at and bearing in mind they're going to have to allocate 24 billion because there's no sign of anything coming down in price for next year and will there be another run we don't know but it's 24 billion so what we need to do Anybody there who's got some spare time on their hands this morning? 24 billion. I know that 40% of the adult population pay tax. But what, what is the figure? What is 40% of the adult population? Someone's going to have to get onto the Central Statistics Office online and get the breakdown. And then we simply divide whatever that figure is of the adult population who are paying taxes, uh, divide that into 24 billion and we will get a figure per taxpayer of how much, just how much the health system is uh, costing us. 0818103103. Our lines are open. C103 Jobs. Hallacy and Partners, they are a solicitor firm based in Bandon. They're looking for a legal secretary. CV, please, and your cover letter to Ted Hallacy at hplaw.ie. Solace Tech Insulation and Ventilation, they require a general operative for the Fomoy area, 025-40776. Teleporter Driver, that's wanted for work in the Blackpool area, CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. And Inselex are expanding their teams in County Cork, so they're now looking for plasterers, insulation operatives for loft and cavity walls. Also looking for general site operatives and window and door installers. You can apply to jobs at inselex.ie or you can call them. Their number is 021 470 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And you can stop texting us on our tickets to the National Menopause Summit, which is on in the Cork 
City Hall at the end of October. Mairead Clancy, Ballytrasna in Fomoy has won our tickets for today. Congratulations, Mairead. We'll have another pair of those balcony tickets for the summit to give away tomorrow. And you can check out further details. And if you'd like to buy tickets by going on to nationalmenopausesummit.com. Now, my next guest, along with her little family, are facing a heartbreaking journey with the news that the dad of the family, a man in his early 30s, has been given a terminal cancer diagnosis. Sean Fuller's wife, Amy, joins me to share their story uh, this morning. Good morning, Jamie. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. Now, you're uh, sadly in a club that nobody wants to be in. So I suppose start at the beginning by telling us um, when did Sean first become sick and, and what was the initial prognosis? Um, so his initial kind of symptoms started on Easter Monday back in 22, so just over a year and a half ago. Um, and it was actually really kind of sudden. So we woke up um, Easter Monday morning and he had a very enlarged, swollen testicle. Um, so we went to South Dock, got an appointment, brought him down. Um, South Dock presumed that it was my, uh, a hernia or some sort of infection. So they referred him on to A&E. So we went up to CUH and he was being looked after up there. I had to come home because... It was still kind of in the lockdown, the end of lockdown for COVID, so you couldn't have people stay up there with patients. Um, and then I just, you know, Sean rang me to say that they still think it was a hernia and he was going in for surgery. They were going to operate on it quite quickly. Um, so he was in surgery for a few hours. I was kind of ringing for updates and he's still in surgery. And then it was late into the evening. Then I got the call back from the surgeon just to say that it wasn't a hernia, that it was um, a tumour. Um, they believed to be cancerous. They were sending it off to be um, biopsied, but they, you know, they were ninety nine percent sure that it was cancerous. Um, and obviously, they've had to kind of remove the whole testicle in the surgery. Um, so that was kind of the initial diagnosis. So for the first kind of twelve months, we were dealing with testicular cancer. That was kind of what Sean's diagnosis was. And you, you got that news over the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So the, the surgeon rang and she kind of just kind of told me how the surgery went. He was out of surgery now, he's in the recovery room. Um, I was allowed up that evening to kind of see him for a couple of hours. Um, and, you know, he didn't really understand what was going on because he was so full of anaesthetic and mm. all these different painkillers. But but here you are, you, you know, testicular cancer, you hear lots of people getting it, testicle gets removed, there might be a bit of chemo, a bit of radiation and people go on to live yes. perfectly healthy, normal li- life. Is Is that what you were initially thinking was going to happen? Yeah, so for 12 months we thought that. Um, so he started chemo in the June and I'd say he was probably three weeks into his first cycle and he um, he got this heart, a clot in his heart. It was kind of the size of a pinball ball. So he immediately he was kind of rushed up to the Matter Private Hospital in Dublin for a heart procedure um, because it was near fatal. Just because of the location and the size it was, they were worried it was going to block a chamber. So we had that, so chemo stopped. He was up there for about a week, week and a half, and then when he came home, chemo restarted and that continued on till August and then in the end of August he had like a mini stroke so chemo was stopped again Um, then we didn't have any kind of treatment or anything until October we were back with the oncologist for kind of the scan updates and just to see how chemo actually affected the tumours 
Um, they did obviously tell us before chemo started that it had spread a little bit to the lungs and there was a tumour in the lymph nodes at the back of the stomach. So we were hoping the chemo would shrink all that down and, you know, make that manageable um, to get ready for surgery. So in October, we were told then we were looking at three surgeries, one on the lymph nodes and one on each lung, and that was going to kick off in the new year. Um, so the first surgery happened in March, to March of this year, to remove the lymph nodes in the stomach. But it was on the back of the, that biopsy from that tumour that we found out we were dealing with something a lot more sinister, and it was this very rare, aggressive cancer called sarcoma. Um, so then that kind of made surgery off the table. Um, you can't operate on active disease. So it was pretty much back to the drawing board with the treatment plan, and we were told it was very aggressive. It was stage four at this point. And terminal. Terminal, yeah, yeah. Wow, and he was certainly put through the the ringer, uh, and he he sounds like an incredible fighter, Amy. He is even, <laughs> you know, we got the news just over two weeks ago that um, the oncologist believes it's twelve months or so at best, twelve months really, um, for us. And as soon as we walked out of that appointment, I was obviously very upset, crying my eyes out, couldn't talk. Um, and he just kind of looked at me and said, you know, stop crying. You know, I'm a fighter. I'll be here in 20 years and I want to see the kids grow up. And, and he still has that mentality. Um, we were back with the oncologist again yesterday to kind of discuss the next treatment plan. And even in Sean's mind, he's kind of saying, right, we'll get through this and then we'll be more chemo in a few months and we'll get through that. And you just keep keep going, keep positive. You have to, you have yeah. to, and, and you've mentioned the the children. You've three children: Sasha, Millie, and Bo. Can I say they're gorgeous, gorgeous names? <laughs> um, what, what age? What age are the three children, Amy? Uh, so Sasha, she's my stepdaughter. So she's fourteen, um, coming up to fifteen in January. Uh, Millie is ten, and Bo just turned three. So yeah, <laughs> are they are they aware of just how sick Daddy is? Um, Sasha is now. Yeah, so we've uh, and we've been very honest and kind of given her an overview of the timeline that's been kind of told to us. Just because you know she is that bit older, and um, obviously the GoFundMe has done very well online. We didn't want her to see something online or on social media that hasn't come from us. So we did have to have that tough conversation. Um, my ten-year-old understands that treatment wasn't working, and there's now a new treatment going to start, and that he you know, we would get quite sick again because of the symptoms and the side effects of chemo. Um, and then the three-year-old's just completely oblivious. He just she's, knows that he's going for yeah, medicine when he's done around. Yeah, three yeah. is, three is. And uh, Amy, how do you get your head around being told that your husband may only have 12 months to live? Uh, honestly, every day is a roller coaster. So I'll have one day where I'm absolutely fine. And the routine is in place and, you know, I'll get up and I'll go to work and I get the kids dropped off and plan the dinner and all these different things. And then the next day I could be an absolute crumbling mess. <laughs> so I just, we're just going day to day at the moment. Um, you know, we, we are tapping into different charities for counselling support and um, not just for myself and Sean, but for the kids as well, just to make sure that they've got some sort of output or, you know, some kind of, support there for when they need it. And there are brilliant charities and cancer. Oh. They're just throwing, and it's only when it lands on your doorstep that you're aware of, of these amazing organisations. 
that's it exactly and the work that goes into different um resources that they have is just incredible and um, we're very lucky as well we've great friends and family around us and um, so we we do lean into them an awful lot um especially my parents they've just they've been our rock so they're almost like our crutches holding us up in the background well, that's what you need that's what you need particularly at, at this time and uh, and up to that waking up that easter monday in in 2022 was life just plodding along very normally for for the fuller family very normal, yeah. So Sean's a scaffolder by trade, so he, you know, was working away. Um, I was working away. The kids were in school and crash and everything. We we just bought our kind of our forever home. We've been renting since we returned from England in 2019. So we just had, you know, found the... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Contracts, and um, we were in the process of getting the keys when all of that happened. Um, so when Sean was in the mass appraisal in June, having the procedure, I had to move myself and the kids into the house uh, on my own. So like that, you know, just that in the space of six to eight weeks, our world just kind of did a whole three sixty on us. You just never know, do you? From from one day to the next, it's just. It's incredible. And and you mentioned the GoFundMe and, and, and we really do need to mention this. And I, I, I was reading it. I was looking at it online. It's your friend Janice. And I believe you and Janice have been friends since childhood. Is that? Is that yeah, did I read yeah. That? I love that. I love that, <laughs> that, that idea. So Janice decided something needs to be done. Uh, there's a GoFundMe page. Now, obviously, Sean isn't working at the moment. Yeah. You, yeah. You're trying to keep going to work. Yeah, so... Um, he was on the illness benefit for the first 12 months up until April this year. Um, but as I said, we only came back to Ireland in 2019 and his contributions had run out, his illness benefit contribution, so they, they stopped the payment. And we applied for the disability, we've been rejected. Um, we only found out this week the EP um, has been rejected as well, just because that's all means tested. And I said, I'm still going to work, pay the mortgage, pay the childcare, keep keep everything going as much as I can. Um, so we were not in any receipt of any kind of social support or any 
um, had... But, but hang on, which I, I mean, I, I'm assuming Sean was working when he was in England. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're still, since last April, trying to get the PRSI contributions from the UK transferred across. Um, it's it's like getting blood from a stone. You can't get you to the right departments. We get passed from pillar to post. We're sending emails weekly, and there's just no help whatsoever. Um, and, you know, they they say that the UK signed an agreement because of Brexit. So yeah. the contributions should still be coming across as normal. There's been no change there. Well, it's just so hard to get through to the relevant team or person that can actually make that happen for us. My God, girl, if you don't have enough to be dealing with, yeah. with without having to deal with the paperwork of this, it's it's incredible. So a GoFundMe page has been set up, obviously, to help you cover day-to-day expenses. But it's also important, Amy, you want to make memories. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we've potentially got 12 months um, we want to give the kids the best 12 months give Sean the best 12 months so really it's about allowing me to be able to step away from work and us to have those day trips together and you know those um, Santa visits and you know somebody's kind, very kindly donated pantomime tickets and you know things that I probably wouldn't have been able to afford with just earning my salary if we don't get the support I know and it, and it is important and how is Sean doing at the moment He's okay. Like he's had a rough couple of weeks where he's had pneumonia. Um, you probably noticed that chemotherapy just knocks your immune system, so he's kind of privy to picking up absolutely everything going around at the moment. Um, so he's on double course of antibiotics. Um, treatments due to kind of start again in the next week or two. So we're just waiting to hear on that date. But he's, you know, he's still keeping that positive mindset. I think sometimes it's more for my benefit than his. Oh, no, he's, he's, he sounds great. But listen, behind every man, there's a powerful woman. And listening yeah. to you this morning, <laughs> you're, you really are uh, incredible. Um, I just realised I don't have it in front of me. What's the name of the GoFundMe, if people go on to GoFundMe? Um, it's called Making Precious Memories for the Fullers. Making Precious Memories for the, the Fullers. OK, and I'll get on to John Paul and we'll, we'll share that uh, as well. Uh, can we keep in contact with you, Amy, just to see how you're all getting on? Would you mind? Yeah, no, no problem at all. And uh, and we've got great listeners who I know will be supportive of the GoFundMe page, but we'll also keep you in our thoughts and in our prayers. There, you know, and just that everything will work out uh, for you. But it's it's as I said at the outset, it's a club that nobody wants to be in, and you found yourself uh, in it. Best of luck to you, uh, Amy, and to the children, and and especially to Sean. And thanks for taking time out to talk to us. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. Wouldn't that break your heart? That is uh, Amy. Uh, Fuller. What an incredible what an incredible uh, woman but I suppose for the three children you have to remain strong uh, do you not and you just never know life plods on very normally and suddenly like a bolt out of the blue you get uh, a terminal diagnosis uh, like that. 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Trisha makes me so cross uh, listening to that poor woman, uh, Amy, talking about the battle that they have with her husband with a terminal cancer diagnosis, especially the part when she was saying that uh, he's been cut off the illness benefit. This text says, meanwhile, every refugee or asylum seeker comes into this country and they're given 
all kinds of benefits with no questions asked. It is a disgrace. I do think that's probably the the part of her story when Amy was saying that and she's, you know, she's obviously the one making the phone calls, filling in the forms and all of that and, and he, he'd worked in the United Kingdom so he's built up the contributions. We The contributions... You know, that was one thing that did get sorted out with Brexit. They should automatically carry over, but she just can't get to the right person in the right office uh, who'll press a button on a computer probably is all it is. And because of that, they are she, they're without any kind of state funding. And because she, God help her, goes out to work every day, they won't pass the means test. It's, it's frustrating because, you know, their focus should be on Sean and the battle that he he has with the terminal diagnosis and being only given such a short period of time to live, their whole focus should be on that. What they, that's why the GoFundMe page was set up to help them make memories and to make memories uh, for the children when they're not going to have their dad around for very long. It's it's yeah, it's gut wrenching. It it really is. Thank you for your text oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. And somebody else actually, I did spot this in the papers this morning. We were talking about disposable vapes on the well, we spoke quite a lot about disposable vapes in the program. We were speaking about it only yesterday, and we were looking at the health implications with young people taking up vaping. But one of the points that came up was the environmental damage that these disposable vapes do. And if you're out and about having a walk, or if you talk to any of the wonderful volunteers for the tidy towns, as soon as these disposable vapes are finished they're just dumped you'll, you'll see them you know on the footpaths on the side of the road and of course there is a little lithium battery inside in each and every one of those disposable vapes and I spotted and somebody has sent on uh, a text of it as, as well I spotted an ad in the papers today now I'm, I'm open to correction but I haven't seen these ads before saying recycle you can recycle your vapes in the blue bin you know the blue bins uh, where you'll see them in all of the supermarkets or anywhere where they do the wee recycling for your batteries. They're saying vaping devices contain batteries and other materials that unless properly recycled can be harmful to the environment. Please return your used vapes free of charge to the blue battery recycling box. And they're saying you can do it in your local vape or retail store. You'll see them a lot of the supermarkets um, have them uh, as well. So if you collect your batteries at home, uh, and then bring them along to the supermarket or to where, where, wherever you recycle your batteries. If you have anybody in the house who's using the disposable vapes, uh, will you get them to start recycling them, uh, please? And just stay on, let's stay on the whole recycling theme for a moment because very much in keeping with sustainability, repair cafes are popping up in many areas around the country. And tell us about the repair cafe that will hold an event in Mallow Library this coming Saturday. I'm joined by Roger Nagel, who is one of the organ. Good morning to you, Roger. Morning, Patricia. Um, and listen, well done on the outset. Well done for getting involved in this. I suppose for people who are unaware, can you explain what a repair cafe is? Sure, sure. And, and thanks for having me on. Um, so it's a very well-established movement. Um, the event is basically run by volunteers who have fixing skills. And what we do is we invite householders to bring in their broken items, kind of portable items, I guess, that they can carry with them. Bring them into us over a two and a half hour period and we'll do our best to try and either troubleshoot and maybe advise them on how to get them repaired or indeed to, to repair the items right there and then if we can do so. And when and why did you decide to get interested in organising a repair cafe? Um, well, it's been running for a long time and I think there's over 2,000 of these around the world and there's quite a few in Ireland now and they're proving to be very popular. Um, and they kind of have two intentional aims and the primary one I guess is to try and reduce waste I think mm-hmm. we're all aware of the, the waste problems facing us all now um, so by 
prolonging the lifetime of household products, we are we are hopefully reducing the waste that's being generated in people's homes, and that's the that's the the, the overriding um, point. But there's also a secondary benefit, I guess. It's a community effort. So we're finding people that have repair skills, and there's lots of them out there, and they love to repair things, and they also love to show people how to repair things. So there's there's a great community benefit in finding those fixers, bringing them into these events where they can showcase their skills and help people out. And then on the other side, you have people who have stuff that's broken, lying around, with little alternative other than to possibly bring it to the recycling centre and have it trashed there. But, you know, these, these items have a lot of useful life left in them in many cases and can be repaired, but it's just not easy to get them repaired. So. Yeah, that's the problem. That, 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 that is the problem. So give us an example of the type of items that people might be able to bring along on Saturday. Well, what we're, we're inviting people to bring in so far is we're describing it as household items, but okay. it can include electrical items, electronics, bicycles. Um, we haven't seen many of them yet, but... Um, we're inviting people to bring in bikes, furniture. We have uh, repaired furniture, and then we have some excellent fabric repairers who will do wonderful things with fabrics, um, backpacks, luggage, items of clothing. So that's the sort of broad spectrum of stuff that we will try to help people with. Brilliant. And anybody listening who has a particular skill set, as you say, people with skills love to share them with other people. Are you inviting them along to help out and give advice? Absolutely. So we have a great crew of volunteers already, but we're always looking for new people who have these skills, and there are many of them around. But um, we are hoping to expand and go into maybe Canturk Library and maybe eventually Fermoy Library as well. So we're always looking for people who have these skills and would like to volunteer their time and join us. So for the moment, it's just in Mallow Library, but hopefully we'll have more of them popping up around North Cork eventually. So yes, we are inviting people to contact us through our Facebook page, North Cork Repair Cafe. That's the best way to get hold of us if you'd like to volunteer and help out. And have you managed to fix many items? Well, we have. We've only had four events so far. Our fifth event is on this Saturday, 11 a.m. in Mallow Library. Um, and say at the busiest event, we've had about 10 successful repairs. So 10 Brilliant. items brought in and they were sent home with their owners, happily bringing them back to life and able to use them at home again. So, I mean, at the low end, there's been, you know, in the beginning, we didn't have so many people uh, who knew about us, not much stuff coming in, but it's certainly growing and more and more stuff is coming in and getting fixed. So. Because, uh, Roger, are we becoming a very, I don't know what the word, the word is, it a throwaway society, I say compared to our parents and our grandparents? Well, yeah, I mean, it's true. I, I think that is true. And unfortunately, there are influences in the market that are sort of encouraging us to go that way. Um, designed obsolescence is a problem for certain products, I guess. Companies know that if they manufacture it in a way that it may not last very long and don't provide you the means to repair it, then it's it's in their interest that you throw it away. Um, so there's a lot of incentive like that in the marketplace. Um, there's a, a movement called the right to repair uh, in Europe, which is trying to fight back against that and to empower consumers to be able to fix their own stuff, you know, even to, to physically be able to open an item and get at the uh, insides is a problem in some cases. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're almost sealed now. I mean, I certainly remember, uh, Roger, when I was growing up, uh, we had a man who lived uh, down the road from us. He was the TV repairman. And, you know, people went when their TVs broke. You know, back in the day when not, every, not everyone had a telephone, knocked on the door and the gentleman came up and he'd take the TV away or whatever it was. But you knew where to go. Whereas today, when something breaks, I, I, I think the key is it's the means to repair it. People don't know where to bring something. 
It's true. It's true. And those those businesses that used to thrive on repairing are disappearing, unfortunately. But the skills are still there. People are still doing repairs privately at home, so the skills are there. And there's a wealth of resources online to enable you to, to figure out how to repair something. And what we're trying to do is just to show you that, yes, you can. You can do it yourself, and it's a lot easier in some cases than you think it is. So we have some skills to share with you, but we're also trying to encourage people to think about learning how to do this for yourself. And it's very empowering mm. when you can figure out how to repair your own stuff and bring it back to life. So people don't need to book. They can simply come along to the library on Saturday? That's right, yeah. There's no booking needed. Um, just walk in. We're on the ground floor in Mallow Library from 11 until 1.30pm. Just bring in your items and we'll do our best to see what we can, how we can advise you or actually do the repair there, um, if possible. Okay, what's your own skill set? Are you just a general handyman or do you have a particular skill? Um, just a general interest in repairing all sorts of things. I, I tend to go towards electrical items and electronics. Okay. Um, that's my own interest area, but I'll try anything. It's, um, it's something that's great fun to do when you get into the, the frame of mind of repairing. So I'll, I'll, we'll try anything, you know. And then to f- suddenly plug it in and it's working. Great buzz. Very, very satisfying. Very satisfying for, for the person who has the broken item and for the person who managed to actually make the repair. Yes. Would I be right in thinking that your favourite television programme is The Repair Shop on BBC? Not a not a big TV fan. I'm oh, aware of it though, oh. and, and I'm glad that they have such shows. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah. yeah that's no. I know they they look at very a lot of them are not and not all of them are antique items, but that's just a wonderful show, Roger. You would you'd love it. You'd absolutely love it. Right. Listen, we wish you we wish you luck with the, the event on on uh, this Saturday, Mallow Library, and it's on from 11 a.m. until 1.30. And uh, we're encouraging people if you have any household items that need repairing, or you're just looking for advice, please. Go along to the repair shop and best of luck to you and all of the other volunteers uh, Roger involved with this it's a fantastic initiative thanks for joining us thanks very much Patricia uh, good morning to you bye bye well, lovely man that is Roger Nagel of the Repair Cafe in Mallow I love to see groups of local people get together to do up graveyards particularly graveyards maybe that have been sadly neglected because there's no longer anybody around to maintain their loved ones graves and back in 2021 a restoration group for Castle Hyde Graveyard was uh, set up and they have been continuing uh, their work with restoring the graveyard in Castle Hyde ever since then and they've got a work day happening now it's in about two weeks time is it yeah Saturday the 21st of October at 10 o'clock in the morning and they're looking for people who'd like to come along to help to tidy up in the graveyard they're doing the surrounding walls cutting the grass so they're saying to people look if you can spare an hour or two particularly looking for people who might be able to bring along their own strimmer or if you can operate a strimmer they will have some strimmers that they will be able to provide so they're looking for people to come along on Saturday the 21st of October now if you are going along if you can bring along any gardening equipment with you things like slashers or rakes um, if you could bring them along just so that you can help out then you can contact any of the committee or you can simply turn up on Saturday the 21st at 10am in the morning and my thanks to uh, Danny Higgins who um, sent along a note to me uh, today asking uh, us to give it a mention and just making the point that this particular 
graveyard in Castle Hyde has both Catholic and Church of Ireland. It's the final resting place for both uh, religions. So if anyone, maybe you have ancestors who was buried in Castle Hyde and you'd like to go along, please do Saturday the 21st of October. Or you can contact uh, Danny 0876638438 and I will make a note of that and I'll remind you of it again closer to the time. Talking at time, we're coming up to 12 midday, a quick ad break and then we've got news at uh, 12. Final hour of the programme Peter Dowdle will join us answering gardening questions. If you have a gardening question for Peter get them in either to John Paul on 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie we're coming up to the first anniversary of the Chrysler uh, explosion and um, seeing that a memorial service and a commemoration will take place on Saturday to mark the first anniversary. It was the 7th of October. So the first anniversary is this Saturday. Hard to believe in some ways, isn't it? I suppose because we're a bit removed from it that a year has gone by already when 10 people, including uh, three children, were killed in that explosion at the Apple Green service station in uh, Crystal. I, you know, it's one of those events I think I'll always remember because... For, for myself and John Paul that day last year it was the Radio Awards coincidentally the Radio Awards are on again this year and this uh, Friday night as well and as uh, I, we were travelling to the Radio Awards we heard news that there had been some kind of an explosion uh, in uh, Creesla and then of course as the evening was going on and then certainly the next morning uh, when we woke up we found out um, exactly how many people had died and at that stage they were still trying to recover bodies it was just such a shocking, shocking thing uh, to happen. And I think any of us who have ever lived in rural Ireland will know, you know, a small, close-knit community. I mean, certainly Creesla was a, a village I had never heard of before. And I think for a lot of people in Ireland, obviously people in Donegal knew exactly where Creesla was. But for the majority of us, we didn't even know where this little village was. But we were in our own mind's eye thinking it could have been any village just, you know, where we live and where we uh, go and shop. And, you know, the Apple Green on a Saturday, you know, on a Friday, as it was a Friday uh, last year, at uh, you know, in the afternoon, busy, the children out from school, and you know, everything that was going on, and people just leading their lives and going about their business, looking forward to the weekend. And then, in the blink of an eye, this massive explosion happened. So, they will we'll be remembering all of the 10, and we think of the people of Donegal and, and the family members. Uh, who will have a, a, a difficult weekend getting past that first uh, anniversary. So let's all remember, please, the people of Chrysler, especially this uh, weekend. Now, Ishka Aaron have been on to say they are working to restore water supply as quickly as possible. There's about 100 homes, I'm told, are affected. It's in the Kilavolan to and Rock Forest areas. And there's a, was a burst mortem in this morning, unfortunately, in Kilavolan village, but Ishka Aaron aware of it and they have their crews out and they are uh, sorting it out. And John Lenham was on to say, Patricia, would you give a shout out, please, and I mention that Drum Tariff Parish Hall will be hosting a meeting on this coming Thursday night at eight o'clock. Now, the reason that they're calling a public meeting, they're exploring the idea of starting up a drama group for over 18s and a drama group that would 
set up and would run over the winter months. Everybody is welcome. You don't need to have any stage experience, but perhaps it's something that you've always thought about doing or always thought about getting involved uh, in. And of course, for any drama group, I was involved many years ago with the Choral Society in Clamell. And while I rarely threaded the boards, I was great in behind the scenes, uh, kind of wardrobe and stage management and that. So there's always other jobs you can do as well if you don't want to shine out on stage. So if you'd like to go along, there will be guest speakers from other local drama groups. They'll obviously come along and they'll be giving advice on how you set up a uh, drama group. Uh, so anyone is invited to come along. So that's from John Lennon. So good luck to that. Anyone, Drum Tower of Parish Hall this Thursday night. And if you're looking for a hobby, we're always suggesting people take on hobbies. And I tell you, getting involved in a drama group or a choral society fantastic way of widening your friendship base because there's a great social scene that uh, goes on even just to attend you know the auditions and to attend rehearsals it's great crack I can guarantee you that so I hope a big big number uh, show up and then some people are on about when we've been talking about the budget and uh, we mentioned about the health budget and we're trying to work out how much for every taxpayer in this country, how much does it cost us to fund the health service? Because Noreen was on to us to say the last figure she could find was 20 years ago in 2023. And at that stage, every single taxpayer in the country, €6,800 per taxpayer was going towards the health budget. But with the massive spend on the health budget now, she reckons that figure must be much, much higher. Now, the only thing is 20 years on, there's a lot more people at work probably than was working 20 years ago. But anyway, we're struggling to get the figure I have the figure for the health spend. While we're struggling now, John Paul is just going to email the Central Statistics Office, the wonderful bunch of people that they are, to find out how many taxpayers are actually in the country. I know that it's about 40% of the adult population pay tax, but we're looking for the physical number because once we get the physical number, it should be fairly easy to work out how much per taxpayer and how much of your your tax money goes directly to the Department of Health because all we've got to do is divide one figure into the other figure. But it prompted somebody when I said that the health budget was £24 Somebody said, are you for real? Are you saying it costs £24 to run the Irish Health Service? Yes, it does. And it's actually going to cost uh, slightly more because where I got that figure from, the health budget, this time last year as we were coming into the budget for 2023, it was announced how much would be needed for health. And at that stage, it was 23.4 billion was the figure this time last year. And we know already that there is going to be, by the end of this year, by close of business of this year, the health budget will have overspent by another billion. So that takes it up to over 24 billion. And last year, actually, when we were announcing the investment for budget 2023 of 23.4 billion, we were told it was the highest funding to the health service in the history of the state. And we're going to that particular uh, record is going to go because it's going to be replaced this year. But yeah, I know it does sound like an absolutely staggering amount of money. And I know many years ago, looking at our health fund, we always, we put a lot of money into the health service. And yes, I'll have people listening to this programme saying, why am I on a waiting list for so long? Why have I got a child on a waiting list for so long? Why have we families whose children need scoliosis op- operations? Why are they languishing 
on waiting lists. It just it never, ever makes sense to me. Uh, we put all this money in and it just never seems to work right. Parts of it work very well. I will accept that. But it's it, it always is uh, frustrating. Uh, but I know a number of years ago, looking into figures on our health spend and per head of population, we spend a lot more on our health than other countries do. But we just don't seem to get the same uh, results. Uh, and I don't know what the answer is uh, to that. And then some Pat is saying when I've been talking about the budget, the budget is only to rob us all again. The politicians at the end of the day, they are the ones that that win on their wage packets. We're just working to pay them, says Pat. Uh, He's a bit cynical about uh, politics. And then a couple of people who were saying that they can understand with the way the country is going, they can understand why Sinn Féin is becoming so popular in the opinion polls. And if there was a general election based on any of the last number of opinion polls, Sinn Féin would certainly be the biggest party uh, in have, with elected representatives and could possibly then go on to form a government. John wouldn't be happy with Sinn Féin. He said put Sinn Féin into the country and watch the country will go back to the 90s. Morris also isn't a fan of Sinn Féin. He said people talking about having Sinn Féin in power in government. They will be sorry in a few short years if they get them into power. We'll be broke to the ropes from them. You can't spend what you haven't got. But maybe that's what Sinn Féin in power will discover Morris because as someone last week when we were talking about there was something again that some announcement that Sinn Féin had made somebody made the point it's very easy to govern in opposition but it's only when you get into power that you realise what you can and uh, can't do but a lot of people are certainly moving towards Sinn Féin have never been in power you know the argument for some is well let's let's see what they can do let's see if they can sort the housing situation the health situation and all the other problems that we have in this country. 0818103103. We were talking about, oh, oh, this is staying with health and the overrun of the 1 billion. Jim and Cove is wondering, when you talk about the overrun of 1 billion by the HSE and the Department of uh, Health, uh, does that include money that people fundraise for. A lot of fundraising goes on for the likes of Cork University Hospital and the Mercy Hospital and a lot of that funding goes towards buying equipment, etc. Jim himself contributes to a number of fundraisers, particularly ones that are done for uh, hospitals. But he says, when you look at the HSE over uh, spent, does the money raised come into that? No. I mean, any of the fundraised money will go to buy equipment. That will never be included in the money that comes directly from the government that goes to the Department of Health and then goes to the HSE and, and the various other ways that the health is spent. No, fundraise money is completely different. Take away fundraise money and possibly the overrun would be even higher, Jim, if the hospitals had to go out and buy the equipment that is bought because of uh, fundraising. And then we were talking about nursing homes and in particular we were talking about the the real worry for the families who've discovered that the nursing home in Belgoolie wasn't expected to close until into the new year. They've suddenly been told you've three weeks to find a new nursing home for your loved one. And it's really caused a lot of uh, anxiousness and sleepless nights and worry for families who literally can't find uh, a nursing home for their loved one. It's it's a shocking situation to find uh, themselves in. A, a, a manager who used to work in a nursing home was on to us and uh, this nursing home manager feels more and more nursing homes will close. One of the reasons is the shortage of nurses and trying to get nurses to work in nursing homes. HICWA have introduced a lot of requirements. So while it looks like HICWA is closing these nursing homes, many are happy to close due to the stress of trying to employ and locate nurses and 
yeah. And I think like everyone accepts that uh, what HICWA do is to make sure that standards are right. And if you've got a loved one who's going into full-time res- residential care, of course you want to be convinced that everything is done accordingly. And that's why HICWA have inspections and they, they tell in various nursing homes you have to do, you know, A, B and C and they come back and check to make sure that A, B and C is done. And that gives comfort uh, to people whose loved ones are living, be it in a nursing home or any kind of a residential uh, institution. But sometimes the requirements are really, really strict. And, uh, you know, sometimes nursing homes find it impossible to comply with all of the requirements. So, you know, you'll hear people saying HICWA's best thing that ever happened and others saying no, some of the HICWA requirements people can't keep up with the HICWA requirements, can't afford to keep up with the HICWA requirements and because of that some of them are closed. We've already seen a number of nursing homes closed. We've spoken about them uh, on the programme and uh, it's just it's a knock-on effect for families as well. And remember we've an ageing population so we're going to have more and more need for uh, nursing home beds. 0818 You can stop calling us on our Funderland competition. We asked you to identify which of the following is a Funderland ride. Is it the hangover or the hang under? And it is of course the hangover for the very brave people who go to uh, Funderland. Aoife Hurley and Banding, congratulations. Aoife, you now have to decide who are the other two people you're going to bring with you because your win is for yourself and two others to go along to Funderland at Creamfields on the Tremor Road open every night on till 10 with free supervised parking. And we'll have more Funderland tickets to give away tomorrow. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Annam Cara will be holding their Cork meeting in the Maryborough Hotel this evening at 7.15. All bereaved uh, parents are welcome regardless of the age of their child or when their child died or the circumstances of the death. No need to register. You can just arrive this evening at the Maryborough Hotel at 7.15. If you'd like more information about the great support work uh, offered by Annam Cara, you can go to their website, annamcara.ie. Panther time in Formoy for the first time since uh, COVID and auditions are going to be held next Sunday at the Fomoy Youth Centre for any adults who might be interested in joining the fun. This year's panto is Woody at the OK Corral and organisers are particularly appealing for men to join the group. Come along and chat and meet up on Sunday. If you would like further details 87 33916522 and the Newmarket Canturk Alzheimer Cafe will be held in Newmarket tomorrow from 11am to 1. Guest speaker Tom Murray who will be giving advice on the Fair Deal scheme and the Sacred Heart Secondary School in Clonakilty they've got an open night for new students it's tomorrow from 5pm principal's address will be at uh, 7 and Blarney District Historical Society they will host David Ryan giving an illustrated lecture entitled Blue Shirts and the IRA in 1930s Cork it's tomorrow Thursday 8 o'clock Blarney Secondary School everyone welcome and for non-members admission is just Four euro. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. By the way, I can see a lot of people have sent in There's a lot of um, texts and WhatsApps, and my apologies, I don't get to read them all out, but a lot of people very much having sympathy for the families of uh, the loved ones who are in the Apri, the, uh, Apri nursing home in Belgooli that we're now discovering is going to close in the next three weeks. A lot of people uh, reaching out.
letter just saying that they really have sympathy. Mike in, in Bantry says, Patricia, my grandmother lived to the ripe old age of 93 and only ever went to hospital uh, twice. Isn't that, isn't that just incredible? And just on health and the health budget and people are really aghast the 24 billion has been spent in one year on the health service. And someone says, do they ever give a breakdown of where the money goes in? Like how much of it goes to hospitals, how much of it goes to doctors, to nurses, how much of it goes on taxis, how much of it goes on cleaners? No, I don't think I've ever seen a breakdown like that. Maybe the Department of Health would have, would have a breakdown like that, but it would, it would be it would be worth the read, wouldn't it? To see how, how do you spend 24 billion in 12 months? It does seem incredible. Now, I have an email in that we got earlier on in the week but I'm only getting to it now from uh, Tig emailing Cork today at c103.ie and of course our email is open 24-7 if you ever feel that you'd like to email uh, the programme Hi Trish while attempting to apply online for my spouse to take the driving test in this country I found out there's 61,000 people waiting for a test date and this just made me so disgusted that I decided to forget all about it I've had a life-changing disease and I'm now in my 70s my spouse has an American driving licence, but it cannot be interchanged for the Irish one. We live in this country uh, and we live in the country without any bus service. So if I die before her, which sadly is likely due to my serious health issues, my spouse will literally be up the swanee without a paddle. Now, Trish, Consider the farcical situation when it comes to exchange agreements on driving licence. You can exchange, if you've lived here for one year, uh, a Taiwanese driving licence, a South Korea driving licence, an Ontario, Canada driving licence, a Newfoundland driving licence, a Switzerland driving licence. All the EU licences get directly switched over for an Irish one. Please note, all of the countries listed drive on the opposite side of the road to us. So why, in God's name, can't we exchange an American driving licence for an Irish one? It is blatantly outrageous and it puts people like us in a very troubling situation with no public transport to go to a doctor's appointment or even just to do the normal weekly shopping. We are facing a serious problem with no logical recourse. I'm sure many other retired Irish have come back from the US are living through this same nightmare. By the way, I have written letters to all of my local TDs, but they don't seem to care. Yet we now have a situation where the parties in power want to increase the TD numbers. Now we are going to have extra TDs pulling our proverbial legs. It would make a dog strike his father. I've never heard that saying before. Uh, and that's sincerely uh, Tyg. So, yeah, I, I, I am. And I was aware of this Tyg, but I went online yesterday just to check out and remind myself of what happens when you're trying to exchange a driving licence from one country to the other. It's always been that. You can stay, you can be here for a year and then you can swap your licence uh, over. And, you know, Tyg is right, uh, all of the EU countries. And there's other countries as well that you can do a straight ex- exchange with. But then there is a full list of uh, countries where you simply uh, can't exchange and unfortunately America is one of them. Now if you've got your driving licence in Australia, in certain provinces in Canada you can switch it over. Gibraltar, Guernsey, Isle of Man, Japan, Jersey, uh, South Africa. They all drive though on the left. They all drive on the same side of the road as just New Zealand and obviously the UK. But the Republic of Korea 
uh, Taiwan uh, and provinces in Canada, they drive on the other side of uh, the road and you are allowed to exchange. But yet for America, you're not. I, I really can't understand it. And then even on... The problem with your uh, partner going back to to now having to apply for an Irish, an Irish driving licence, it isn't even as simple of just ringing up and saying, look, I've been driving for years. Will you book me in for a driving test? She's going to have to apply for a provisional licence first. And then I do know you don't at the moment. Anyone on a provisional licence has to do the 12 driver theory lessons. Um, you don't have to do that if you have if you already had a driving license in another country. You only need to take six essential driving training lessons instead of the usual twelve. But that's still there's going to be a cost uh, involved in that, and also a, a delay. What the answer is, I don't know. But it, but you are right. Uh, you're not on your own. Have others found themselves in that situation as well? Driven. I remember a number of years ago speaking with a, a lady who'd come back from America, and she you know she spoke about uh, she was in New York. State, but she spoke about driving through, you know, horrendous driving conditions in the States when they get, you know, really bad snow and whatever. Never, ever had an accident. Came back here uh, to live, thought it was just going to be a matter of going in with her driving licence and her fee and pay and swap over to an Irish one to discover that she didn't and she had to go back and take the lessons uh, again. And then she ended up having a problem in, in that uh, she failed, I think, twice. I think it was the third time before she got it. But she was fuming over it because she said the amount of money she ended up spending on it. And she thought because she was somebody who had never had an accident ever in her life and she just thought that the whole thing was a bit of a, a scam when it came from a money point of view and yet we had somebody then rang up and said I came back from South Africa with the driving licence and I was able to swap it over and that's when we looked into it and South Africa is on the list of uh, countries outside the EU including I don't know why why the Republic of uh, Korea the South Korea sorry did I say North I don't know why the Republic of Korea or Taiwan is, is on it I, I, I'm scratching my head on that because they you know they do drive on the other side of the road as well. So no explanation on that one. I'm uh, sorry, Tyke. But thank you for your email to Cork today at uh, c103.ie. OK, let's turn our attention to gardening questions, please. Uh, is there something going on in your garden that you would like Peter to sort out for you? Can you get your gardening questions in now, please? You can text or WhatsApp them to 86 or you can call John Paul and he'll take the details of your gardening questions to 0818-103-103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. And we're in for a little bit of an Indian summer. The temperatures are up and, and the weekend is meant to be quite good. I can't wait. I was saying there recently, I know I said it to you before, I think they need to, to rename the, the term Indian summer to Irish summer because we tend yeah. to have our, our best weather in September, October, don't we? Well, it's funny because I saw something online that the, the same week last year was the very same. We had we went into October, it was very mild and we had nice um, sunny weather. Listen, any day that we can get the sunshine, we'll take it. Absolutely. I remember my, my birthday is uh, is uh, next week, not dropping any hints to all your <laughs> listeners. But um, I do remember we had good weather last the same week last year. I remember it well. 
Yeah. Okay, straight into questions. Now, this listener got this the WhatsApp and the picture in, so we were able to get it on to you from John. Hi, Patricia and Peter. My box's hedge isn't doing well. Can I revive it? Or will I have to play, replace it? If I have to replace it, what would you recommend replacing it with? And um, John has sent on a picture of the boxes not looking too healthy. No, it's certainly not looking healthy at all. Now, there's two main problems affecting box hedges and, and box uh, in general at the moment. One is the box moth caterpillar, which is, as it sounds, a caterpillar which which develops into a moth, kind of a, a brownie white moth, um, and it just defoliates the boxes very quickly over a period of days, uh, but completely defoliates it. Uh, and then you have box blight. Now, looking at John's picture, I think it's quite hard to, to differentiate for certainty from just a photograph but I do think what he's he may actually have both because it seems to be a bit widespread but I think it's most likely box blight because the the main differences are with the box moth caterpillar nearly you, it's completely defoliated it's, it's completely leafless within a few days with the box blight uh, the leaves go brown and and kind of a bit like they've been burnt and then they they drop them but it's not quite as quickly it's a more gradual dieback and and like in john's picture there it's not leafless it's just a lot of the leaves are brown so i think he's got blight but in the back of the picture uh, as the i'll put the picture up on facebook to, to show it to people but as the uh, if you go to the back behind the main boxes that we're looking at the hedge looks to be leafless so he could actually have both now unfortunately the blight is quite treatable nowadays like Top boxes do a product for box blight, and, and also just copper sulfate uh, uh, can work to to prevent the the spread of box blight. Uh, and plants are building up a bit of a resistance. Where you know, twenty years ago when it was first appearing, it, they were it was they were history, but now they kind of they are coming back on their own. Um, the box moth caterpillar is more problematic. It, they really, I mean, no insecticide would work. Not that I'd be recommending one anyway. Um, there are some parasitic wasps and things that that will work against it. And in fact, ants, which were often asked, how do we get rid of ants in the garden? Answer your friends on this one, because they will also attack, attack the bots, moth, caterpillar. It's all about the natural balance, which I'm always talking about, Rich. If we kind of let nature to its own, it'll take care of it. But I, I think he probably would be better off in replacing it, yes, taking out what's there and replacing it. And I'd look at uh, something that's plants that are similar to box but aren't box. One is, it's an awful mouthful of a name, I'm afraid. It's Euonymus japonicus, um, uh, and it's microphyllus, so small leaf, microphyllus. It looks quite like the, 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 the box plant. And the other is a Japanese holly, which is Ilex crenata, which again looks very, very like box. But these, now the, the Ilex has its own issues in that it, it can be prone to some, some infections as well. But the, the euonymus tends not to be, like every plant is, is prone to a degree to something. But uh, the euonymus is less trouble, certainly. It's a very small leaf green euonymus. And I think that would probably be the thing that I would opt to replace it with. Instead. OK, good luck with that, John. Uh, Margaret says, hi, uh, Peter. I'm considering planting beech hedging in my garden. And I was wondering, when is the best time to do it? How far apart should I plant each one to make sure there are no gaps into the future? Yeah, well, I love beech hedge. It's probably my favourite of all of them. I love the, the winter look and, and the summer. It's just a lovely, constantly changing hedge. Um so when you should do it, you'll get them what's called bare root, which means they're lifted in the nursery field as opposed to being grown in pots. And plants are only available bare root kind of your window is from November. If you know, it depends on nature because, it, you know, it, plants have to be dormant. So, so in some years it might be October, but it's certainly not going to be October this year. So normally you would say they're available between November and February, but it is dependent on, on temperature.
Um, so that's the best time to do it because it, it's number one, I suppose, they're much, much cheaper to buy them that way than it is in pots. And number two, it's it's traditionally the right time for planting. And it's because the plants get a chance to establish before they come into growth in the spring. Now, do bear in mind, in, in the first two years after you plant beech, um, keep them very, very well watered during the, the spring and summer months. They are you, they are at risk of dying from, from even just a day or two's lack of water in the first couple of years. So do pay attention to that. Space them. It does depend on the size of plant you get in terms of the spacing, but I would say normal kind of size plants up to a few feet tall, uh, I would space them at about 18 inches. But the, really the best way to grow a beech hedge is to do what we call a double staggered row. So you, you would grow... Uh, you would plant a, a line of beech trish 18 inches apart and then you would come forward about 50 centimetre or 18 inches again and plant another row of them in the gaps, if you know what I mean, mm. or in front of the gaps. Yeah, to get you a have really what's called good, a double staggered row. Yeah, and you get a really good full hedge out of that. You do, and much quicker, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good advice. Uh, hi, uh, Peter. W- yeah, okay. Uh, would I be able to cut my hydrangeas right back down to about a foot from the ground. The reason I'm asking is they're extremely high and they're actually taking over a part of my lawn. You you could, like as we've discussed many times, Tricia, if you cut them too hard, what you'll, what you'll find is they won't flower next year. That magic number is seven, seven nodes counting from the ground up. If, the, if, if, you go, if you leave less than seven nodes on a stem, they won't flower next year, but you won't harm the plant. But I wonder what I look at if they're taking over that part of the garden. They're obviously good and mature. This this, this is going to be a uh, maintenance each year. Like if you need to cut them back that hard, I wonder are they in the wrong place is what I'm getting at. I wonder would you be better off moving them, um, which could be done during the winter months. So the answer to the question is yes, you can cut them back. But if you need to cut them back that hard every year, you're never going to have flowers. So if you can cut them back to three or four feet, they'll they'll bush out then next year to maybe six or seven foot in diameter. If you can tolerate that, if the space can tolerate that, that's probably the best thing to do. If not, um, I would move them somewhere else. Okay, Carmel was on from Mitchellstown, was on to John Paul and John Paul hopes that we can understand this. Uh, Carmel says that she has a beautiful (laughs) rose sweet pea. Uh, She had it until the wind and rain and Storm Agnes and all of that. And now there's no buds on the plant or pods. She said she used to gather up the seeds uh, of the plant uh, and uh, would give them to other people and they grow from that and they would blossom every year. And she was wondering, uh, there's none this year. Is it down to the storm damage? I would say without question, yeah, if, if they flowered, if, if the sweet pea flowered, then um, the, and I don't know what John Paul's talking about. I have no problem understanding <laughs> the question. <laughs> I think John Paul didn't understand what poor Carmel was going on about. <laughs> We've had far more difficult ones. Um, so, so yes, if the, if the plant flowered, then it produced seed. So um, I would imagine it's the storm that put pay to a Jess without question. Now, the, the, I suppose the other side of that is that the, 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 the storm had acted as a seed dispersal agent, if yeah. you know what I mean. So you you might get sweet peas popping up all over, uh, all, all over the garden next year. And in fact, I did a piece on on the Today Show last week with Dahi about just this, about how to collect sweet pea seeds and grow your own. And um, not only will you save loads of money, of course, because you know it's a few euros for every packet of seeds. Um, but you can do what 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 Carmen was suggesting: handing give give seeds to to friends and neighbours. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lovely thing to do. Um, hi, this is from Mary. Could you ask Peter, what should I do with my geraniums for the winter? They've been outdoor in pots all summer. 
Well, if they're in pots, that's great news because that means it's quite straightforward. Just move them in for the winter. Uh, I don't think, now this, as soon as I say this, of course, it'll happen, but I don't think we've any risk of frost just yet. But certainly when we are running into to, to the risk of, of low temperatures and down to zero or plus one or two, certainly at that stage, move them in for the winter. Um it doesn't have to be, you know, in a glass house or any of that, even a garden shed or a carport, anything like that would do just to protect them from the frost. If you don't have that option at all, get yourself a roll of what's called horticultural fleece, which is a breathable material, Trish, which you just drape over the geraniums, if you like, or wrap them up in it. It has to be fleece or something breathable like that, because covering them in polythene or plastic of that you know, that's not breathable. So you'll have condensation buildup, which will lead to fungal problems. So uh, I would say ideally bring them in or as I say, even a carport or something like that uh, or else wrap them up in a bit of fleece. Mary wants to cut back her flame of the forest. Can she replant what she cuts off? Well, it's not quite as simple as that. So yes, you could take cuttings no, first of all, let me say, if you're cutting it back now, you will lose next year's flowers. The flowers are on the bush already for the spring. So you might be better off to wait, if you can, wait till after it's flowered and then cut it back. It's also a better time of year then to take to make, to make take cuttings because the, the temperatures are dropping at this time of the year. So um, it's gone a bit late to take cuttings. However, if, if you need to cut it back now, then do it and, and hope for the best. But it's not quite as simple as just put the, put the pruning into the soil yeah. and it'll grow. What you need to do is... To, take cuttings about four or six inches in length. You can certainly use the trimming, but um, take cuttings about four to six inches of the length of this year's growth. So it's the green growth, not the kind of brown woody growth, which would be last year's growth, um, into a bit of rooting powder. Just leave two or three leaves on the top of the cutting, into a bit of rooting powder, into some compost. And they should root away, but at this time of the year, I would certainly say they'd have to be inside to, to, to root. Okay. Alternatively, leave it till next spring and, and do it then. Okay, we'll park it there and we'll talk again next week. Look forward to it. Thanks, Thanks a million. That is Peter Dowdell, the Irish Gardener.com. Well, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Mark Malone is in for Nick Riches. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.